Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. If concerns are raised that a person might be vulnerable to radicalisation, how long can a police force hold data about that person? Well, the High Court considered this issue in a recent case and held that the police's continued retention of data of a 16-year-old was contrary to the Data Protection Act 2018 and Article 8 of the Human Rights Act. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors, and here to discuss this case with me is Rachel Gawley, a barrister from Sergeants in Chambers practising in police law, inquests and police misconduct. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Rachel, tell us a little bit about this case, about the backgrounds and the facts of it. Sure. So in the case of RII and the Metropolitan Police, the High Court held that the police's continued retention of data concerning a 16-year-old boy was contrary to the Data Protection Act and to Article 8. So first of all, just thinking about the facts of the case, the data in question relates from 2015. In December of that year, when the claimant was only 11 years old, he was receiving online tuition. His tutor became concerned that he might be vulnerable to radicalisation. Now, specifically, her concerns were that he'd been talking about America being evil, was obsessed with killing the Prime Minister, said that he liked watching Game of Thrones because of the beheadings and that he had changed his email address to at isbeards. So in light of those concerns, the tutor decided to make a referral via the prevent strategy. Information was then passed on to the police and a case file was opened on the claimant. So... Rachel, how did the police approach the prevent referral and what was the outcome of their inquiries? Sure. So first, officers attended the claimant's home address and they spoke to his mother. No further concerns about the claimant were identified and the case was actually closed. That was in June 2016. And I think that's an important fact to remember. This wasn't an ongoing policing investigation, but the police did decide to retain the claimant's data on 10 databases. And it's this retention of data with which this judgment's concerned. What databases were they holding his personal data on? Well, the claimant's data was held on 10 databases in total. There were databases that could be accessed by police, counter-terrorism officers, local authorities, and the Home Office. The databases included things like the MASH, which at the time was the multi-agency safeguarding hub, the National Counter-Terrorism Policing Headquarters System, or NCIA. That one was accessible only to counter-terrorism officers, and then the channel management 
intelligence system. That's a home office database. And that was accessible to counterterrorism officers, some staff in the home office, and actually also 10 local authorities. So quite a wide range there. Yeah, so it's a collection of sort of uh, security services and multi-agency interests in there. The claimant was 16 years old. Uh, What impact was he suggesting this had on him? A significant impact, actually. So, as you say, he was 16 and he was starting to think about university applications. His mother told the court he was hoping to apply to become a doctor. And the claimant argued that as long as the data was retained, he'd continue to live in fear that that data could be disclosed and disclosure of it could wrongly suggest to the universities to which he was applying that he was or that he might be a supporter of terrorism. So really, it could potentially have significant in his future prospects. Now, there was nothing to suggest this data was going to be disclosed, but as long as it was retained, there remained a real risk and the police could not guarantee that the data would never be disclosed to third parties. So that was really the claimant's issue in the case. Right. So let's discuss now the basis on which the claim challenging the legality of the Commissioner's decision to retain that data about the claimant was actually brought. Yes. So really, there were three elements to this claim. One, that the decision to retain the data was contrary to Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. Two, that the decision to retain the data was in breach of three principles contained in the Data Protection Act 2018. And three, that the decision to retain the data breached the public sector equality duty at section 149 of the Equality Act 2010. Right. Now, I understand the court found the police's decision to retain the data constituted an interference with his right to privacy under Article 8. One. How did the court arrive at that decision? So I think to understand how the court came to its decision, it's worth briefly setting out the arguments the commissioner for the Metropolitan Police made in this case. So she argued that the police's decision to retain the data made reference to the College of Policing's Authorised Professional Practice, or the APP, on the management of police information. That one's called Retention, Review and Disposal. And they argued that the decision to retain the data had been made in accordance with the APP. At the time, the guidance said that Group 4 data so here, intelligence collected on a person was to be retained for a minimum of six years, provided that there hadn't been earlier deletion following a triggered review. And the commissioner argued it was necessary and proportionate for the data on the claimant to be retained, citing in particular an argument that radicalization is a process something that occurs over time, as opposed to being a one-off event. And so the authorities might need to identify patterns of behaviour in future. Now, the court rejected 
this argument. The court found that the police's decision to retain the data did constitute an interference with the claimant's Article 8 rights to a private life. Whilst retention of the data had a legitimate aim, here the prevention of radicalization and terrorism, the continued retention of the claimant's personal data in this case was disproportionate and it was unjustified for a number of reasons. And just going through those reasons briefly, that was because first, some aspects of the intelligence had been proved to be untrue and the case file on the claimant had been closed on its merits. The police had determined there was in fact no cause for concern. The claimant was being radicalized following the report by his tutor. And second, in the four years and 10 months since the tutor had made her referral, there'd been no further concerns that the claimant was being radicalized. And so in those circumstances, the court held that if retention of the data was no longer required for any policing purpose, then that data fell to be deleted on either a triggered or a rolling review. And finally, it's worth noting that the court did indicate that the potential consequences of continued retention of the data were severe. Whilst disclosure was unlikely, it wasn't something that fell outside the realms of possibility. And as I said earlier, the police couldn't guarantee that that data would never be disclosed to third parties. Right. Uh, how does that sit with the APP, that aspect of the court decision? Sure. So, as I've already said, the APP at the time said that intelligence or Group 4 data was to be retained for a minimum of six years, provided there hadn't been earlier deletion. But in this judgment, the court said, actually, the length of proportionate retention of data is a fact-specific question. It's going to require an assessment in all of the circumstances. And the court had found the period of retention in this case to be disproportionate. And that's even where it was less than the six years that the APP stated at the time. Yes, it was four years and something, wasn't it? Um, I think it was four years and 10 months, yes. Yeah, we've applied that balancing act. And let's talk about the, the claim, because part of this claim was under the Data Protection Act. Yes. So thinking about the next aspect of the claim under the Data Protection Act, the court noted it was common ground that the outcome of the Article 8 proportionality assessment should provide the answer on whether continued retention of the data was necessary within the meaning of sections 35.2b, 39 and 39.1 of the Data Protection Act. So just going through those in a little bit more detail. Section 35.2b addresses the first data protection principle that processing be lawful and fair. It required that the processing of data be necessary for a law enforcement purpose. 
Section 39.1 stated the fifth data protection principle, which is that data be kept for no longer than necessary. So on the court, having already found that the retention was disproportionate for Article 8 purposes, it went on to find that it was also not necessary for the stated law enforcement purposes. And so there was actually a breach of the first and the fifth data protection principles. Very briefly, thinking about the third data protection principle, which is at section 37 of the Act, that processing be adequate, relevant and not excessive, the court didn't make any findings on that in the judgment. So overall, on the Data Protection Act claim, in this case, it was very much linked to the court's analysis of the Article 8 claim. And if I could also just add as well, I think it's interesting in this case that the court observed that some of the data was sensitive, or if you want to use language of the DPA, it was special category data. And that was because it revealed the claimant's religion and purportedly his political opinions. And the court held that even inaccurately recorded data, so here recording his perceived political opinions, which had been found to be inaccurate, wouldn't stop it from being something that counts as special category data. And I think to that effect, police forces should be mindful that any data recording a person's perceived political opinions or beliefs, even if ultimately inaccurate, should be considered as special category data and should therefore be handled accordingly. There was a, the third aspect of this claim, uh, which you mentioned, which was the decision to retain the data breach the public sector equality duty under Section 149 of the 2010 Equality Act. Uh, yes, and that was dealt with very briefly by the court. The court had to assess whether the police had breached this duty and said that there was no merit in that ground the court set out its view that the commissioner had paid due regard to the claimant's needs as a child and that the very reason the commissioner had decided to retain the data was with a view to safeguarding his needs as a child. So the claimant was unsuccessful on that last ground, but as we've already heard, had succeeded on the first two parts of his claim. So what advice would you give to police forces about data retention as a consequence of this decision? Overall, I think this case serves as a reminder that police forces cannot and should not assume that they're always permitted to retain data for six years or that they can follow minimum retention provisions in data protection policies without applying individual judgment or without considering proportionality. I think proportionality is always going to be key. In this instance, where a case against a young person had been closed and the retention of the data was unlikely to advance any ongoing policing purpose, then the data had to be deleted. And the facts here were fairly stark. They concerned a boy at a particularly young age. No crime had been committed 
and no ongoing issues had arisen. His data had been retained for around three years and four months, and this was held to be a disproportionate interference with his Article 8 rights. Whilst this judgment states important general principles, though, how they apply in each individual situation and what will be proportionate will, of course, differ Cases concerning adults or cases where a crime has been committed will be treated differently, but it's always going to be a judgment call with proportionality at the heart of that assessment. And so overall, in a world where increasing volumes of data are kept on individuals by police forces, by authorities and public bodies, it gives us a lot to think about. Public bodies cannot and should not think that they're safe to retain data indefinitely. Well, that's excellent advice. And thank you for really a a very, very helpful insight into what's clearly an important case with some very salient principles. Rachel, thank you again for joining us. I look forward to having you back in Series 5. And thanks for your time. Thanks very much. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.